It's probably one of the funkiest um, bumper tunes that we have. It always kind of disconnects everything, but it's uh, kind of cool. Hey, thank you for that song. What a perfect song for today. And um, <clears throat> if there's ever a song that just seemed to have everything in it, you know, the whole, the gospel right there and, and hope and joy, that's that song. What a good day for that. Thank you, worship team. I love when you're all together like that. It was just, uh, just really meaningful. Um, I want to say shout out to Lizzie. Happy birthday to you today. This is 2-5, right? Just gets easier and easier from there. Just tell you. Um, I want to thank those of you who have loved um, my family and me during this season of COVID. We, we thought we were, we, you know, we were doing everything right and being careful, but uh, my doctor said, um, that, you know, there's two people in society, those people who are going to get COVID and those people who are going to get a vaccine. <laughs> so um, that was real cheerful and hopeful. Um, by the way, he also said that, you know, he gave me a green light to be here today, but he, he said, there's such a thing as COVID brain. So he said, you know, be careful what you say. I said, no, I can just say whatever I want and then just blame it on COVID. So did you really wear that to church? Is that your, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's so good to be back with you today. And, and again, thank you for the expressions of love. And it reminded me, and I've seen this in other contexts, that you love does well, but you love each other well. I've seen you doing that for one another, those who've gone through, whether it's this illness or some other situation, that um, your community groups and your your friends and, and people around you are quick to respond and to love. And I love that about Calvary. That's probably, I, I don't know how this sounds if you're watching online and you're not a part of our fellowship, but it you know it sounds a, a little... Uh, braggy, I think. I hope it doesn't, I don't mean it that way, but um, but you love each other well, and that's just a beautiful attribute about this fellowship, and so thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> uh, there was a woman in the Old Testament, a young woman, uh, her name, she's about your, about your age, about, about a college student age, and she has this amazing story, and you're probably familiar with it if you've been around church uh, any length of time. Uh, I didn't really read scripture until I was college age, a couple of years after high school. And this is one of those stories that I read. And I thought, wow, all these, because I love to read and I love to read stories. I love to watch stories and movies and that kind of thing. And I thought, wow, here's all these beautiful stories un- that unfold in such fascinating ways in scripture that I never knew were there. And so I was just delighted. And this is one of those stories about a woman named Esther. I believe uh, that we have some Esthers in this room this morning, and those of you who are um, maybe aren't even aware of it yet, but I pray the Holy Spirit will uh, make that evident to you. But it's an amazing story of this, um, this fascinating young woman who wisely took advantage of her new normal. Uh, her whole culture, just like ours, we can identify with this, had, had shifted and everything had changed and she found herself caught up in the midst of that and in a dangerous place. But with God's guidance, uh, she used her position and her culture and her personality and even her beauty, uh, all, everything that God had, had built into her to, to be the woman that she was. And he used that to save the Jewish people. Uh, we can do the same. We can be brave. And we can be wise in this new normal. Uh, God wants to do more. I've said this so many times since last year. Um, more than just get you through this. More than just 
for this to be over. And I watch the national average, and I see that, oh, we're finally in a little bit of decline, and Knoxville is still, we've still got new cases every week, but we're, but we're beginning to plateau a little, and, you know, and so you, you, we feel this hopefulness. Uh, but, but our goal isn't just for it to be over, just to get out of this. You know, through following the leading of God and taking time just to be thoughtful and make smart decisions, to make good decisions that you'll look back on next year or six months from now, ten years from now, and think, wow, I'm so glad that I walked with the Lord and that I stayed on that path or that I made these decisions during that time. Well, let's talk about Esther, and then I want to show you a New Testament uh, scripture that the Lord brought to me, and I, I just filled up a couple of pages of notes in my journal, and then the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just seemed to say, I gave you permission to attach that to Esther and to, and to share some of those thoughts. Um, by the time Esther opens, uh, many Jews have returned from the exile to Palestine to reestablish uh, Judaism. Um, and, and the institutions of all of that. And if, you, if you're one of those personalities that want to know the background and how, how that happened, you can go you read Ezra. Read the first six chapters of Ezra, and it's all, it's all just laid out right there. Now, these first, this first wave of repatriates numbered about 50,000 people. That's maybe a little over twice of the number of folks you could fit into Thompson Bowling Arena. So that's about how many people in your imagination that you can picture. Uh, and it's maybe less than you thought. I don't know if you read this and you thought, wow, you just see this, these huge, you know, there's just all of these people. It really wasn't that many people because most of the Jews in exile did not return. They had a new home. And even though their law, like in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and their prophets, like uh, Isaiah in chapter 48 and Jeremiah in chapter 50 or just a, a couple of sites, had encouraged them to do so. So they d- didn't necessarily follow the law. They didn't really follow the, the, the prophets. Um, they preferred the comfort and the convenience of life. They were settled in. They had been there for a while. Uh, they had come to, you know, all these things they had come to know outside of the promised land, they had gotten used to that. And they didn't really want to go back to, you know, this the discomfort and the sacrifice that's involved sometimes in obeying God. And I want you to know that even though we're, when we're in Christ, we appropriate His strength and His power and His love in our lives, there is this effort on our part. And there's a change in lifestyle oftentimes that happens. And sometimes we look at that and we think, wow, there's a part of my heart that really wants to obey the Lord. But, man, it's just a lot of trouble. And, you know, I just I don't I don't think I want to, to put that effort, that effort forward. Well, Esther and Mordecai were two of the people, main characters in this story, who chose not to return. They said, we're just going to stay. We've got lots of extra biblical information that add into all of these events that happen both in the Old and in the New Testament and in the periods in between and, and after that. One of those, in 1893, uh, the Babylonian expedition from the University of Pennsylvania discovered these documents that show just how wealthy and influential some of the Jews who remained in Babylon actually were. 
So there's a part of us that thinks, you know, we picture this, oh, they were just suffering and had this terrible situation. That wasn't always the case. Many of them had by this time become some of the most affluent in their culture. So um, that's what's happening in the book of Esther. And these events uh, fit chronologically that we're going to talk about today. Uh, right there, kind of neatly in chapter 6 and 7 of, of Ezra. Again, if you want to go back and read that. Let's read in Ezra chapter 3 and just give you a snapshot. We'll just step right into the story. It says, after all this, this is in um, Esther, Esther 3, <laughs> verse uh, uh, 1. After all this took place, King Ashurus honored Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. And he liked that. He really liked that. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warned him, warned him day after day after day, he still would not listen to them. They told Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated. Since he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout uh, Asherus' uh, kingdom. So this is yet another attempt in history, and you're going to see this all the way up until modern times, up even until the, into the 20th century, of this, these, these efforts to eradicate uh, this genocide against God's people, the Jews. It's really fascinating for thousands of years how that people group has been so targeted over and over and over. Now, as queen, Esther wisely took advantage of what was her new normal. And with God's guidance, she used that position in just remarkable ways uh, to, to save the Jewish people. From her story, this story we're going to look at today, we can see how God guides and he protects and he selects people for very specific tasks. Again, I think there are some Esthers in this room, and I think there are some Esthers watching online today. And God wants to guide you and protect you and maybe use you for something very specific that you maybe are aware of or don't even see yet. Now, the threat came from Haman. He's uh, King Xerxes' deputy. Uh, he was very prideful. Uh, he was filled with racial hatred. Uh, he disliked the fact on a very personal level that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Everybody else did, but he wouldn't. And Haman just, just was filled with this desire. He wanted him and all of his people to be destroyed. Just, just kill them all. Now, when the threat to the Jewish people came to Mordecai, he petitioned Esther 
And so would you ask the king, this is in, in chapter 4, verse 12 to about 17, he goes, would you ask the king to spare us? You know, would you, would you go above Haman's head? Would you, would you outrank him, so to speak, and ask him to do that? In the midst of this uh, authoritarian regime, uh, he, he, there's this volatile king. He's un, so unpredictable. Esther was probably really afraid about that. I mean, you know, of course she was. She was, she was scared. However, Mordecai challenges her. I know you're scared, and I know you're tired. I know you can't see how this would play out, and I know this puts you in a very dangerous position, but would you do it? I'm just I'm calling you out to live your, you know, what God has for you in your life in this place where he's put you. You're, you're the only one, and you are the only one in your life in, in a certain position with others. Now, the climax of the story is something that if you're familiar with it, you probably um, would, would guess. It's found in the words in chapter 4, verse 14. And he asks this. He says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For this, this is your moment. This is your time. So though the Jewish people are facing this very real, very deadly, lethal threat, Esther didn't rush uh, into, uh, to ask King Xerxes for his protection. You think she'd go, okay, I'm going to do it, and just, and just immediately walk you know, that direction, but she didn't. Before she approached him, she asked her people, this is in chapter 4, verse 16, she said, would you enter with me into prayer and fasting? She goes, I'm going to do this. I'm asking my attendants, everybody around me to do this. I want to be wise. I want to be smart about how I approach the king. She put thought into that. How many times with the situation maybe you're in, I mean, I've caused so many of my own situations, haven't you? And problems and, you know, all the things that happen. And you think, well, if I hadn't, if I had stopped to pray and to really seek the Lord and just before you pull the trigger on something, before you say that thing or go in that direction, think, wait a minute, what, let me just take a moment or an hour. Let me sleep on this. Let me just go to the Lord. And then just to wake up with that wisdom um, before you make that next decision. That's what uh, Esther did. When we find ourselves in an undesirable situation, and you, and you will again and again, whether it's by choice, whether it's by your own mistake, whether, it's, whether you're being victimized, it's just by chance, it's just some of the things because we live on planet Earth, um, we draw from the exact same source that Esther drew on. That's God. That is available to you. That is, He is so open and ready for you. And I'm probably going to say that about ten times <laughs> in this message. Because I think we forget that and we, we immediately go to some of our other resources. You know, and, and the places that we trust uh, and, and we rely on that and then we're disappointed or, you know, we try to figure things out. Just go to the Lord first. Just go to the Lord first before you go to King Xerxes. <laughs> Now, the king, um, he didn't take this money that Haman offered him in chapter 3. Uh, political systems then were not a lot different at the end of the day than they are today sometimes. Haman was an independently wealthy man, 
And he knew that the king's campaign needed funding. Uh, he knew that that administration was always looking for people to, to, to give. And the cultural custom of that day was for the giver to offer a gift. And then the, the, the recipient would receive, you know, or refuse that. He would say, oh, no, no, I don't want you. To, that's too much. You can't give. You ever done this at a restaurant or, you know, somebody's giving you, you know, your parents are going to give you something and you think, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And they go, oh, yes. And it kind of goes back and forth. But then at their insistence, you say, okay, <laughs> and you receive it. That was kind of the way this happened. The recipient would refuse it once or twice. And then the giver says, no, you, you must take this. Haman, however, he did not offer the donation after Xerxes' initial refusal which is really breaking all the cultural norms. And again, that just points to his own self-righteousness and his own pride. And it seems he really didn't want to give the money at all. I mean, he, he, you know, he was talking about that, but he, he didn't do it. Folks, God is so in the details of our life. He sees you. He sees those these big sweeping things. He sees the little things. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a man, the steps of a woman, are, are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. We can trust that God knows where we are. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your situation. He knows your relationships, and, uh, and, and he knows what you need. And he also knows how you can not just survive that, but you can rise even above that and be of service to him, be a ministry and blessing to the people around you. Even when your situation is unfamiliar and uncertain and you're not sure what to do and you think, I'm really not focused right now on other people. I'm trying to take care of myself. I'm trying to get through this. And the Lord says, I know, but I'm going to surprise you and do something even bigger than you could have ever dreamed. Esther's new normal provided her with this opportunity to give a voice to the voiceless, to those who couldn't speak for themselves. I think that's always been a, a strong part of the ministry of this church. That's why we openly stand against abortion. That's why we support young moms and dads uh, in, in their struggle, whether they want to, you know, they're, they're trying to decide whether to have this child or not. And we're saying, yes, we have to speak for this unborn child. We have to give voice. We give voice to refugees. We give voice to all these, these pockets of people who maybe don't have that platform to be heard. You're their voice. You're the voice for those people. And it may be that this week, God gives you a unique opportunity to step up and to speak for someone. And it could be in all kinds of ways. Maybe just to, you know, the Lord puts somebody in your heart and you think, I'm going to call them and just pray over them. Or I know someone who's being bullied and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to step into that situation. Or maybe it is someone who uh, has an unwanted pregnancy or somebody who's had a child or somebody who's had COVID and they just need a meal. They just need uh, somebody there on their behalf. And it may be you. You may be the Esther uh, this week in, in people's lives. As Esther's world just changed so quickly around her, 
I was looking at pictures. You know, Kevin said, you know, a year ago we sang this song, and we had no idea, did we? We had no idea. Uh, I was watching last night, you know, I was watching the ball game, and watching ball games, uh, you know, they would show clips of uh, the Kentucky game or the Duke game or the UT game from a year ago or so, you know, and there's, there's just crowds of people and nobody's in mass, and I think they have no idea what's coming. And we don't know. We don't know a year from now. We couldn't see this. It changed so rapidly. And that's the situation. You know, Esther's in this place, and she thinks, wow, I was living in affluence and popularity, and everything was going okay, and my world has been turned upside down. She realized in the midst of that, that her role in other people's lives was so significant, more than she ever dreamed or thought it would be, and that God was going to use her in completely unexpected ways. I honestly believe that built into that statement is a word for some of you today, that God is going to use some of you in ways that you didn't expect and you weren't even thinking about or focused on. And that's going to be through, through the twists and the turns that will happen and, you know, and, uh, and the way the plot always goes like that. It'll be for his glory. It'll be for his glory. And in that process, Esther was transformed. She was changed. Her mission was to save the Jewish people, and that happened. But something happened in that young woman's life on a very personal, on a deep level, on a spiritual level. And that's often the way that God works. I want you to turn to a scripture in the New Testament. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I believe that Esther, under the old covenant, was experiencing uh, a foreshadow of what this verse means for us and how it happens in, in our life. So I'm just going to break this down for you. Uh, my Greek's a little rusty, um, but I, I like, to, uh, I like to, to do that and to go back and to look at this because I think it, it just exposes so many nuggets and so many beautiful truths that Scripture has for us. Paul says that we all have unveiled faces, all of us. That, why would he say that? Uh, that is in direct contrast to Moses. Remember when he's the only guy walking around with a veil? Remember when, when people first started wearing masks and you didn't? I remember going and I would feel this false sense of guilt and, and this, this, this thing of, should I be wearing one? I feel silly wearing one. And now it's just so every day. You know, uh, sometimes we, we think, well, Moses, you know, he wears them. But look, folks, we, we are all unveiled. We all have the glory of God in us. This is a contrast to the old covenant. If Jesus is in you, you have an unveiled face. It says we are looking, and that's a perfect tense participle, and I know that just thrills your soul, but it indicates a continual state that results 
from a previous action. In other words, you know, we're all looking and looking and looking. We're looking continuously at the glory of the Lord. Because the veil has been lifted. And once it's lifted, it remains lifted. This it speaks certainly to our, to our eternal security in Christ. But it speaks to the facts in those days that it seems veiled. And it seems that you've separated yourself or your circumstances have separated. You think, God, you feel a hundred miles away, away from me. He's not. He's right there. His glory is right there. You have as much grace as anyone, as everyone. And he can show you his glory as much as you need and you want to see. And I don't know what you've done, where you've been, what your history, your background, where you are right now, the decisions you made last night, what, you, what this week's going to look like for you. But his grace is right there, and it's just for you. It produces in you a reflection of him. This is in the middle voice, which means that it doesn't have to ever be interrupted. Nothing you do is going to interrupt that. There's nothing you do that put, you didn't save yourself and you can't unsave yourself. You didn't put yourself in a place of blessing and grace. And God says, I'm going to, you don't have to worry that that's going to get cloudy because of whatever it is that's happening in your life. Don't let the things that happen around you distract you away from him. That is such a trick. That is such a lie of the enemy. On your very worst day, on your worst day, he is in you, he is for you, he loves you, and he loves to show you his glory. He is so anxious, he's so wanting to show you his glory today and this week. Sometimes the darkest moments of, of our life produce the brightest reflections of him. I could testify to that again and again. He loves to shine through you in your most unlikely situations. When you're scared, when you're unsure of yourself. I was with a young man about two weeks ago. He lives in Chattanooga. And he has become a part of a ministry organization that I'm involved in. And a few years ago, he was just uh, prescribed or diagnosed with uh, PTSD. And he was on 14 different medications but then he began to understand. He found Jesus and understood his identity in Christ. And he's down to like two medications now. He is, he is just experiencing something new and powerful in Christ. And he just shines. And he talks about his addictions. And he talks about all of his flaws and his failures. And, and not in a way where he draws you know, attention to that. But just so that he can brag on Jesus. So he can talk about, he says, oh, wow. And he's just this, this courageous young man who, has, who is experiencing. And he still makes mistakes. He still messes up. But he says, you know what? It's in Christ that I've found this, this, uh, this victory. And I've seen his glory. He loves to shine through you, even in your failures. He goes on to say that through all this, we are being transformed. 
That word transforms, one of my favorite words in the Holy New Testament, and it, it's, you see it in different passages, but it means to change the inward reality of something. In other words, he's changing you from the inside out. Most of my prayers in my life have been for God to change me on the outside. I want my finances to be better. I want to be well from an illness. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I want this relationship to go this way and that one to go that You know, and we pray about all these outside things. And God says, I'm listening and I'm answering your prayers. But really what I'm focused on is I want to change you. <laughs> I'll change the things around you. But mostly what I want to do is change you from the inside out. He is changing you into something new and different and profound and beautiful. Paul writes that our new image is from glory to glory, which is a way of saying you don't become your own little deity. You don't become uh, yet another, another Messiah you know, or anything like that. He said, no, it's the image of Jesus in you, and it's his glory that he shares with us. It's him. And then he ends by saying, literally, at least the, the Dan translation says, from the Lord who sends the Spirit. His Spirit in you, waiting to be released. You see, sometimes we pray, and we pray backwards a little bit. And I say, oh, oh God, I just need you to come into this room. Lord, we need your presence. And God says, I'm in the room. <laughs> you know, I'm there. I'm I'm there. And, and, and I pray for him to come as if from the outside. And God says, I'm there in you, and my glory is in you. And what, what I want to be is released in you. Released in you, and to have that authority and that place of blessing and that freedom to move in and, and through you. He wants to be that. We had COVID and we were in quarantine and all of my children except one who lives in North Carolina has gone through this. But the grandsons felt great. You know, <laughs> they were just full of energy. And they would FaceTime me just about every day, several times a day. And one day, uh, toward the beginning of this, they FaceTimed me. This is one of my favorite little conversations. And it's just their faces and they're wrestling and they're pushing each other in and out of the picture, you know, on the screen. And the eldest one says, we are in charge. We're the bosses. And uh, they, they just laugh. Both of them just throw their heads back and they laugh. And the other one's face pops up in the corner and says, yeah, we're the bosses of ourselves. <laughs> and then he disappears and he comes back in with a snack like, I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can, and they're the bosses of themselves. And it's just so funny. And I can imagine you know, that the house is a wreck and everybody else is in bed <laughs> just wanting this to be over. And meanwhile, they're roaming the entire house. Little kings, you know, they're just with total freedom. And it's what they've always wanted. And uh, as the week went on and the parents began to feel a little better and began to, you know, come out and back and forth, uh, they're on the screens. And I said, well, who's in charge? Are you guys still the bosses? And, and, and Graham, the youngest one, said, wait a minute. And he turned, and Riley, who was off screen, said, Riley, are we still in charge? <laughs> and he said, yes. And he turned back with a big smile on his face and said, yes, we're still the bosses. <laughs> you know, I think that's the Holy Spirit, the way he works in our house, in you. You're his house. And I think he just wants to know, am I still the boss? <laughs> 
I'm the boss of you. Give me that freedom. Give me the freedom to roam and to to do whatever I want to do in you. And you're going to be surprised that what you were afraid of, of releasing him in your life, is going to be the very thing that sets you free and gives you the joy and the freedom and the health and the healing that you long for. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. And he says, it's from the Lord who sends the Spirit, who's waiting to be released to show his glory, even in the midst of what you're experiencing. And I know that's a big claim, but I don't even know what you're experiencing. But you can't. You, you will not be able to mechanically manufacture it or mimic him just to imitate it. And the good news is, oh, folks, you don't have to. You, don't have, you were never meant to do that anyway. Colossians 1.27 says that it's Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. You know, the remarkable attribute of a follower of Jesus is this unveiled openness that we have before the Lord so that our life becomes a mirror for others. Not that they'll see you behaving perfectly all the time and get it right in every moment. It's not about that. It's that they sense Jesus in you and that it's not about you. You know, I, I, I think you always know when someone has the glory of the Lord and when they're trying to generate their own glory. And I know too, I know in me because I've done both. I have tried to generate my own and pretend or I've just tried to release, say, Lord, I'm just going to let go. I'm not going to do anything except just release your spirit in me and see what happens with that. You know, you sense in your inner spirit when you connect with the spirit of the Lord in another person, don't you? You can always tell that that's fake or that's not. That seems genuine. Just one word of caution before we close is to beware of anything that you would let dim his glory in you. Anything that would smear or taint that, either by just sin, just sinning, or even by what you think is a good thing. Because good things replace bad things, yes, but they also replace the best things. And your self-righteousness is just a good thing. Your good works are only that. And sometimes that hinders or blocks the best thing, which is Jesus. So keep your heart open towards God. As much as when you're weak and you're tired and you're confused, the enemy will try to pull you away from that. I think he tried that with Esther. But she stepped up. Let everything else go. This virus, your present state of being, whatever it is, and problems that you have, they're going to come and go. They're just going to come and go. Don't allow them to obscure the life and the spirit and the glory of the Lord that's in you. So let me ask you this question and we'll be done. Is there anything that you've allowed either accidentally or intentionally to put a veil of flesh over his reflection 
so that you can't see, we can't see Jesus. Would you today, by faith, under his grace, just say, God, just lift the veil. Just remove the veil. Because I just want to look at your glory. I want to see your glory. And I want for others to be able to tell that's what my life is about. Repenting of whatever it is or releasing it, just letting it go and leaving it right here this morning is going to be the first step on the path being able to see God at work in your life maybe new and fresh, maybe for the very first time, seeing his glory in your life. I remember one of the first times I was aware of the glory of the Lord in my life. I was 19, and I just cried and cried and cried. And through the years, from that moment until now, I've seen it again and again. And I get these deeper glimpses and awareness of who he is. Sometimes I laugh and sometimes I still just cry and cry. God wants to set you free. He wants you to see his glory. Would you stand please for just a moment? And and let me ask you this. And maybe you're at home and you're watching this and you've had your second cup of coffee now. Or uh, you're there on the couch or in your favorite chair at the kitchen table. Maybe you're standing in this room. And Holy Spirit has already said, this is, this is a place. I just need you to let this go. Would you release that by faith? If there is something there that the enemy's put before you, maybe it's a fear. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I, can't even, I won't even speculate. But if you just let that go today, would you just release that to the Lord? Would you just testify and just just show your just show your hand? Just show your hand. My hands up. My hands up. All over. All over. All over. God set us free today. Lord, we are mirrors that reflect the glory of Jesus in our life and to the people around us. I believe there are a lot of kings and queens in this room today who need to spend time with you and then step up and to say, this is my moment. It is for such a time as this. Father, for all the Esters that are here today who are watching online, Lord, take us into the next moment. Let us see your glory. In Jesus' name. And for his praise. Amen.